Welcome to Here She Stands, the podcast where Lutheran women from across Australia come together as a community, sharing stories and testifying to God's goodness. We do this so when the tribulations of this world try to push us down, each woman can hold firm to the word of God and confidently say, here I stand, I can do no other. My name is Lexi and I am a homeschooling mama of four girls and the wife of a first year pastoral student. I love theology books, classical music, and I'm currently trying my hand at becoming more self-sufficient. And I'm Sonia, a Lutheran pastor's wife, homeschooling mum of two kiddos, homemaker, tradition lover, and all-round crafty person. In today's episode, we will be chatting with Kathleen Mills, a Lutheran deaconess who serves at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Shepparton, Victoria. So Kathleen, welcome to Here She Stands. Thanks so much, Lexi. It's awesome to be here with you today. And thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to join us and to talk about deaconesses. So um, I was first introduced to the role of deaconess in 2020 when I actually came across your interview with Joshua Pfeiffer and it blew my mind. I had never heard of a deaconess before. This was before I became Lutheran. And just this concept of this theologically trained woman serving in the church and serving her um, community. And so we're very excited to have you on to talk about, you know, what is a deaconess? So to begin with, Kathleen, would you be kind enough to actually just tell everyone what is a deaconess? Sure. Um, and it's not surprising uh, that you wouldn't necessarily have heard of deaconesses or known what a deaconess is or what she does. I was born and raised Lutheran and didn't know myself until about six years before I became one. <laughs> so a deaconess is a servant, first and foremost. The word deaconess comes from the Greek word diakonos, which means servant. Um, but in a church context, in the Lutheran church, a deaconess is a professional church worker, a theologically trained woman who works to share the gospel of Jesus in our communities and in our congregations through teaching and through spiritual care and looking after those around her and through works of mercy, being the hands and feet of Jesus to the community. Okay, so could you please just go into that a little bit more and maybe describe some of the different jobs that deaconesses do within their church? Um, so I talked about, kind of pinpointed without really intending to, the three main areas of, of service and training in which I operate. And those mm -hmm. are teaching the Christian faith, spiritual care, and works of mercy. So in my context here at St. Paul's in Shepparton, uh, teaching the Christian faith is I run Sunday school and I help with First Communion classes and confirmation classes and Bible studies. Spiritual care, you think about hospital visitations, shut-in calls. Here it means visiting lots and lots of beautiful babies. Hmm. Uh, our congregation has a large African immigrant contingent and a lot of young families. So we've had uh, three births just in the last month and a half or so. So yes, being able to care for families and their spiritual needs throughout all of life, from birth all the way through till till natural death, um, and also works of mercy. And that is probably 
the most indicative of diakonia, of service, of the work that deaconesses do. Mm-hmm. If you think about the the very physical needs of the body of Christ, I think about Jesus when he's talking in the parable of separating the sheep from the goats, right? Mm-hmm. I was hungry and you fed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison, etc. Those things, Jesus says, if we do for the least of these, we are doing for him. This service to people in need is where deaconess ministry really shines. Thank you for uh, telling us how to say that word, the Greek word. We were trying to figure out how to say it earlier. (laughs) So being a deaconess, it's really just being the hands and feet of Jesus and being in the trenches with the people and just supplying their needs and serving them in whatever way that you can. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. So in order to do that, what type of training do deaconesses actually receive? Because a lot of it is mercy care. Do you actually have to learn how to properly give mercy care? Is that part of the training? Uh, it is part of the training. So yeah, so so the training that I received, I went through the deaconess training program at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis and had a couple of babies and took some time off and then went back and actually completed it through Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne. Mm -hmm. Uh, So a a foot in both seminaries in America. But the training that we receive is a combination of theological training. So there's exegetical training and a study in the scriptures and how to study scriptures and how to teach from the scriptures and also practical training. So the practical training might be something like a course on spiritual care. I know in our deaconess program, specifically spiritual care of women and all of the issues that are unique that might be really well served in a setting with a deaconess that things that women may not necessarily feel comfortable right away going to their pastors about. Yeah. Um, but then also for, for mercy care, yeah, there there is um, an importance in learning how to support people, how best to provide for their needs, and learning when you might not be able to best support people's needs and how to refer and knowing what organizations are available to you for that. Um, You know, if somebody comes to me and they don't have a place to live, I don't have the ability, the means to bring them into my own home. Mm -hmm. Um, But I can help refer them to organizations that can help them. I can help them fill out applications for rental properties and things like that. And yes, needing to know how to manage that care well um, is part of that also. Yes. So do you also learn how to work alongside a pastor as well? Absolutely. That's absolutely essential. Uh, so, So deaconess ministry is an auxiliary office to the office of the public ministry, to the office of pastor. So when you think of a, of a typical Lutheran congregation, right, mm-hmm. uh, you have a pastor who is called there and his primary reason, the reason your church called your pastor is so that he would deliver word and sacrament ministry to you and yep. among you so that he's there to lead the services and bring you God's word in his sermons on Sunday and to deliver the sacraments to you, to baptize your babies, to you know do funerals, all of those things things. And deaconess ministry, I don't do any of those 
things because there is so much other church work to be done that is not word and sacrament ministry. Um, so and true. a large congregation or in a congregation with a special text like what we have, there are additional ministry needs that if there's a lot of people who need help in the congregation can overwhelm a solo pastor who's all by himself. Deaconesses can come along and uphold and support that ministry by taking on some of the burden of these more uh, physical, immediate needs. Mm -hmm. But then also, it is important to have that theological training to come along and realize that it is anytime that you're serving people's physical needs, there's still an opportunity there to develop relationships with people and to see what's happening in their lives. There might be additional counseling needs that might turn into confession and absolution needs, things that we can turn people back to the word and sacrament ministry that they're going to receive from their pastor and encourage them to uh, make use of those gifts as well. Yes, yeah, so the spiritual and the physical are deeply connected. So quite often when you're doing physical mercy care work, that spiritual theological need is, is also there. Very much so. I did a little bit of reading from Wilhelm Le on deaconesses. He was one of the proponents of deaconess ministry in Germany and then also sent some to America. And that's kind of where the American deaconess movement gets their roots. And in mm -hmm. terms of what he expected his deaconesses to learn and to know, he thought it was necessary for them to understand the history of mercy care, understanding the different resources and systems that are available where, where she lives for referrals. Mm -hmm. all, all deaconesses very early on were trained as nurses. Nurses. And so there's uh, deaconess hospitals all over in America because that was their main role of service. So it was important for them to understand their nursing. Mm -hmm. It was important for them to understand, he said, the Lutheran confessions because they needed to be able to engage with people and to recognize what is good about our faith and the church and being able to be firm in that when they're ministering to people without being taken away and subverted into any errors. And he said, but ultimately, above all, she must not forget first and foremost to study scripture, to study the Bible. And that is, he said, her dearest paradise and the place for holding sacred knowledge. Scripture is first. Yes. Confessions come up and support that. And then you use what you've learned from God's word about caring for the world to go out into the world and see its needs and learn how to meet them. Yeah. Wow. That's really beautiful. <laughs> it's gorgeous. I don't, I'm sure I had to read it earlier on, but this was a document that had been lost to me and I kind of rediscovered it um, in preparation of her talking with you. I'm like, oh, this is gorgeous. I'm going to have to, you know, print this out and hang on to it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is really, really beautiful. Mm. So I guess just from some of the things that you said before, so a deaconess is basically a Lutheran nun in a way. Yes. So especially in that same document, uh, Lea talks about that being kind of the reality, especially for the 19th century deaconesses, not in a compulsory kind of way, um, in a way of that they were willing to kind of give themselves up. And early on, they were, they were unmarried. They lived together in a deaconess house in community with one another. And there was a, a deaconess mother, you know, who looked after them. And, uh, and it would have been if 
a woman were going to be getting married, she would leave the diaconate, she would leave the deaconess house, and she would no longer be in service if she went and got married. That has since changed, and we have fewer kind of livelihood connections to to that style of service, but certainly the idea of, of a woman serving on the ground in mercy care capacity, there's a lot in common. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you're married and you have three children? That's correct, yes. Yes. So tell us a little bit about that process for you of being a mother and a wife but also serving as a deaconess. Did you start your study to be a deaconess before you were married or after you were married or where were you in your journey at that point? Yeah, so I did. I was preparing for my studies as a deaconess. I wasn't actively in the deaconess program yet. I was at university in my undergraduate (laughs) studies, which was where I heard about deaconesses for the first time. I met my husband at university. And so uh, he's been with me for my whole process of actually going through the deaconess program and receiving my commissioning and throughout all of my call processes and, and how we ended up in Australia. So yeah, the reality is that we're kind of unique even in other church family worlds in that of the two of us, I'm the professional church worker. Yeah. Usually... Um, the husband is a pastor and the pastor's wife uh, comes along and, and supports that ministry. Like that is a vocation in and of itself to be the wife of a pastor. Yeah. And then a lot of times there are, I know several deaconesses who are married to pastors, you know, and they both serve the church sometimes together, sometimes in, in separate contexts. So maybe the pastor is the pastor of the local church and the deaconess wife is working at the local aged care center, Yeah, you know, or something like that. Um, it creates challenges for families where both of them are church workers. The pastoral call is going to take precedence over that. And there may not always be an appropriate deaconess placement in close proximity. But for for me, my husband, Joel, has been amazing Mm -hmm. um, and has been all along incredibly supportive of my work and my service. I warned him when we got engaged that, you know, he was marrying a church worker. I might get called somewhere weird. I thought I meant Iowa. Yeah, I had I had no vision toward or ambition about or even really a desire necessarily for international travel or living. But when I was approached about moving to Australia to do work here, uh, he was the one who actually really encouraged me to to look into it further. I would have been like, and eh, yeah, nah, maybe not. But he was like, no, you should you should go get some more information about that. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Um, And he's just always been very, yeah, very supportive of that. And our children, I I said that I was partway through my deaconess training when we got pregnant um, with my first child. So I did have to take kind of a bit of a break in my training because the, the needs of being mom and wife were greater. Mm -hmm. But as, uh, as we went through the process, I was blessed to be able to do my internship on a part-time basis. So I had three young children, but the church didn't need me full-time either. So I was able to juggle um, between those a little bit more. And that's kind of the blessing of church work is that churches value families and churches recognize that their pastors, their deaconesses, that they have families and and want those families to be well-supported and loved. You know, so usually, you know, we don't work, I don't work a, a nine to five Monday to Friday schedule. 
I do keep office hours, but I can also say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm going to take Tuesday off instead of Thursday this week because my daughter has a ballet concert and I would like to attend that. You know, um, we can, and, and in a team ministry especially, so when pastor has needs, I'm able to say, yep, that's no problem. I'll be in the office um, and vice versa. I can kind of cover each other a little bit in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. So just going back to just to how you said that your husband played a big role in, you know, making you look into this. Australia, uh, Australian position mm. um, more. Yeah, I think it's really it really strikes me just how much, even though you're the you're the church worker, in a way it mm-hmm. is a family ministry. It is a family oh, ministry. That's yeah, true. yeah, that's true for us. That's true for pastors and their families. You know, pastors' wives uh, make incredible sacrifices to support their husbands' ministries. Uh, my family has had to make sacrifices uh, to support my ministry. Yeah, it is. It is. The whole family is involved in that. The whole family is affected by that. Yeah. Just as God called you to be a deaconess, he called your husband to be the husband of a deaconess and everything that involves. Yeah, absolutely. And it also comes with blessings, of course. You know, the love and support of a congregation of the families of their church workers is is fantastic. I've always felt very loved and cared for by all of the communities in which I've served. But yeah, there is a reality for, you know, for vocation. So vocation is this idea that we have these roles that are God-given to us and we live our lives, you know, in Christian love by going and doing those things. Like, how do I serve God? People want to know how they can serve God. You know, I can serve God by feeding my family a nutritious dinner because he gave me a husband and children who need to be cared for, right? And I'm doing God's work when I look after them well, because that's the family he's given me. That's my vocation as a wife and a mother. So my children have a vocation to be children, to be students. Um, and they are children of a deaconess, which means that they have been grown, growing up in the church, raised in the church. It means, yeah, sometimes they're sitting out in the narthex, you know, reading a book or scrolling Instagram, probably more likely, <laughs> while, <laughs> yeah. while I'm doing some, some work in the office with somebody after the church service. And they don't get to leave when everybody else is done because church is over, because mom's at work. Yeah. And that's part of their vocation is upholding and supporting our family, you know, and contributing to it in in the ways that children should. Yes. Do you have those conversations with your children? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, when we have two vehicles, sometimes it means mom comes to church alone and then dad brings the kids closer to the time worship is actually going to start. But yeah, like they have done that and like my kids have grabbed a book because they know it's going to be one of those days i warn them in advance oh i'm going to be at church for a while after the day okay i'll grab a book you know (laughs) um yeah they've absolutely walked that walk with me and the the tech booth is full of of mills kids um, for, for running the sunday service my son runs the cameras for the live stream and i used to do the the slides but my youngest becca has said she wants that she actively wants that job like great, all yours. You may have it. That's awesome. <laughs> so yeah, they they are as involved in my ministry here. You know, they play a, a role in it. Absolutely. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. really interesting. Um, so I guess in in many ways, you and Sonia can relate to uh, many of the 
the same things because, you know, you're both in church work in some capacity, you being a deaconess and Sonia being a pastor's wife. And mm-hmm. here I am over here. I'm not yet a pastor's wife, but that will happen in the next five years. So any advice from either of you women? <laughs> <laughs> So what is your vocation now? Your vocation is the wife of a student, somebody who's studying and preparing, um, you know, and, and upholding that and supporting it and encouraging it and doing what you can to to enable your husband to complete his studies well. Yes, yes. And just that that whole concept of vocation. That's another thing that blew my mind when I when I started looking into Lutheran theology is this idea of vocation brought so much peace to my life because my vocation was a wife and a mother and wherever God had placed me at that time. And so, yeah, this idea of vocation, it, it really is such a comfort. And just serve the Lord where you are with what you have. Yeah. That's something that I've been working through over the last couple of years is when I first became a pastor's wife, I was encouraged, you know, his job is not your job. You're your own person, you can do whatever you like. But I've really felt the call on myself from the Lord to be a pastor's wife. That That is my vocation, that he didn't just call my husband to be a pastor and I'm being dragged along, but he called me to be my husband's wife, who happens to be a pastor, so he also called me to be a pastor's wife. And since sort of figuring that out, it's done the same. It's really given me a lot of peace and it's helped me to find the beauty in that, to realise that I have um, a really unique opportunity to get to know our parishioners really well and to serve them in so many other ways that are quite unique to being a pastor's wife. That's completely true. And that vocation, it's like, what is it? It is, it's comforting because we have a tendency to want to set apart certain roles as special or more or better. We're encouraged to, you know, you think about what little kids say they want to be when they grow up and you get, you know, ballerina or astronaut or firefighter. um, And the parents are dreaming dreams of doctors and lawyers and, you know, for us, the reality of vocation, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if that kid grows up to be a doctor or a ballerina mm, or yeah. a baker or a mother. Like all of those roles are blessed by God and are used in his service to the world. Uh, God doesn't need our good works. Our neighbor does. And he gives us this unique place. And he says, if you're doing the work that I gave you in the place that I've put you, that is to my glory and to your benefit and to the benefit of those you serve. And there's nothing more comforting than that, to just knowing yeah. that living your life and changing babies' diapers, which Luther says he had a special joy and pleasure. Like, how was he worthy to be responsible for these little babies? He talked about daddy's changing diapers, right? Yeah. Um, and looking after the mother of his children. That was a very important vocation to him. Yeah, and instead of training up our children to become a doctor or become a baker, we can train them up to do whatever vocation they're in for the Lord and to the best of their ability as unto the Lord. That's right. And it could be that they're a doctor and that they use their skill to uphold and promote life and help people live well and healthy. 
um, and they give God glory when they do that, yeah. you know, and, uh, you know, they don't have to put little crosses on all of the bread that they bake as a baker to prove that they're Christian. They just bake good bread and sell it at a fair price, you know, and they give glory to God in that, whatever it is, they can be whatever they want to be. And then they can do that to the glory of God. Yeah. So I guess one thing that I would really, really like to ask you, this is coming from just a homeschooling mom that mm -hmm. has just started up a podcast. <laughs> How do you balance your multiple vocations? You're a wife, a mother, also a deaconess. You're serving everyone. How do you balance that? Uh, yeah, I, I won't say that it's never been a challenge uh, to do that. The reality is that I do serve everyone. And the best way to to mark that is uh, to recognize who is my closest neighbor. Right? Yeah. So my mm -hmm. so my primary vocation, my first vocation, is wife. Mm -hmm. I'm a wife to my husband first. I've mentioned already he he entered into this estate of holy matrimony with me with the understanding of what it was that I was called to do. Yeah. Um, and has and I've been blessed that he's been supportive of that. But my pri my primary calling is to him. We both work outside the home. By the time we moved here, my children were seven, eight, nine. Now they're 14, 16, 17. They're on their way toward relative self-sufficiency. Uh, so the challenge is a little bit less for me now in terms of balancing between deaconess and mom. Mm hmm. Uh, but I don't do a lot of evening appointments because my kids are running around. They've got jobs that I've got to get them to and dance classes for 10 hours a week. And, you know, uh, I try to be home with my family um, as yeah. much as I can in the evenings. And yeah, sometimes that presents challenges because the people I'm serving also have full-time jobs and it can be more challenging to find times to, to meet together with people if they don't get off of work until 4.30 and I'm out of the office by then. But having to to put those kind of boundaries in place. You, you hear even in the secular world talking about work-life balance. That is a reality in the church as well. Um, I'm sure, Sonia, you probably have some experience with some, some after-hours challenges for your husband, some pastoral things that he has to attend to yeah. um, that aren't during office hours. And of course, there are emergencies where, you know, if somebody is, is gravely ill or dying and they're in the hospital and it's two o'clock in the morning, yep, he's going. Yeah. You better believe it. Of course he is. But yeah, appointments that aren't urgent, right? It's important for for church workers to schedule and guard uh, their time. I have to schedule and guard my time. And I've actually yeah. gotten quite a bit better about it. I used to be uh, headed for burnout because I wouldn't do that. Yeah. Um, and my pastors actually have been the ones who have worked with me and supported me in that and encouraged me to take my leave and to you know, take my rest days and take time in lieu if something comes up and, and interrupts my normal rest time. Yeah. Yeah. So you're kind of working from this inward circle outwards. You start with rest, then you your husband is your number one priority, then your children are the next priority, and then your vocation, um, your job is your next priority after that. That's right. Just yeah. Like that. So basically, yeah, prioritize vocations. I've actually just written this down on a sticky note. <laughs> um, <laughs> prioritize your vocations. So I guess one thing that we probably should have addressed earlier in this episode is um, finding out, you know, you're obviously not from here. 
how did you end up coming to Australia? Yeah, the um, accent has has betrayed me, has it? Yes. It certainly <laughs> has, yes. <laughs> it's been seven years and it's never going to go away. Um, yeah, so I, I did my training and I was serving as a deaconess in Columbus, Ohio. And as a deaconess in the LCMS, occasionally we will get notifications of potential deaconess positions, you know, so a church is looking for a deaconess to do playing the organ and teaching Sunday school or something, you know, in Nowhereville, Iowa. And and yeah. this option is available. If anybody's interested, here's the name of the pastor. You can email him or what have you. Uh, one of my deaconess sisters, she is really gifted in music and language. And so she does hymnal translation work. So she goes into other Lutheran churches around the world yeah. and helps and helps them develop their hymnals and helps them like put the music and the words together and translates hymns and all that stuff. She had just done some work on the hymnal for the Lutheran church in Kenya, wow. which is uh, Swahili language based. Yeah. So Matt Anker came to know Sandra, Deacon Sandra, through the... Kiswahili language resources and was looking for support for the ministry here. Mm -hmm. And he described what he needed, what kind of work needed to be done. And she says, Oh, it sounds like you need a deaconess. Yep. And put in our like deaconess Facebook chat group, you know, that she had a, a friend in Australia, a pastor who was looking for a deaconess to do youth and family multicultural ministry support. And I read it. I was like, oh, that'll be good for some other deaconess. <laughs> Somebody will really enjoy that position. Um, and I left it go. But I could not stop thinking about it. Like, it just keep, kept coming back to the front of my mind. So I told Joel, I told my husband, I was like, oh, they want a deaconess to go to Australia for three years to do this. And like, that's kind of interesting. You don't see something like that every day. And he's like, yeah, that is interesting. That's that's exciting. That, that's really cool. <laughs> That would be an adventure. Our kid, that would be great for our kids. You should look into that. I'm like, no, 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 no. You were supposed to say that's going to be nice for some other girl, some young single thing, you know, like the idea of moving my family yes. to another continent. Like I didn't know. No, I wasn't interested. Mm -hmm. I, was, I wasn't interested. So I wrote Pastor Matt to tell him now how not interested I was and that if he had other deaconesses who were interviewing with him if he'd already gotten you know 15 emails saying oh yeah pick me pick me to pretend that i did not write him yeah but i just wanted to know how it was going yes and he said i have zero applicants here's what's happening in my church please prayerfully consider <laughs> um and it was it was over the course of a couple of months it went from this is stupid this is a really bad idea he ask him and he'll tell you i was a nut job yeah. Um, I was fighting against it, actively railing against the concept to this is unequivocally what God is calling our family to. So it was, it was a lot of talking and interactions with my church back in the LCMS, uh, with Lutheran Church of Australia, um, interviews, psychological evaluations, medical appointments, you name it, to eventually end up being confirmed from the Goulburn Murray Parish. So our parish is two point. We have Shepperton and then we have Trinity Lutheran Church in Echuca. Mm-hmm. Uh, their church council did interviews with me and it's not properly a call, but it is a, it's a, it's a contracted, but with the understanding that it's for this ministry role uh, was issued to me. And that was after months and months of talking about it. So by the time that I actually got the letter that said, you know, here's what the 
position description and offer is I accepted that in like 20 minutes flat, like, cause I knew that that's what was happening. We were planning for it at that point. Um, and that was, yeah, that was 2015. And then I didn't even have a passport. So I had to start with that before we could even apply for a visa. Yeah. Um, so the international process of bringing me here took about a year. So wow. we started here in May of 2016. Okay. Wow. That's insane. I mean, it's it's tough taking my kids to get groceries. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine moving country. How old are they? Uh, my eldest is seven and my okay. youngest is seven months. Yeah, so. no, I, I would not have, I wouldn't have done it with a baby. I guarantee you I wouldn't have done it with a baby. Okay. Um, so my youngest was seven at the time. So like that school age, they were... They were old enough that they weren't baby on the hip dependent on mom. Yes. Mm -hmm. And they were still young enough that it was have mom and dad will travel. No super heavy, deep connections to to our home in terms of like friend relationships and their schooling and things like that. It would be way harder to try to go back to America now at their current age. Um, It it was the butter zone. It was the perfect time. So you would say God's timing was pretty good there. Really good. Excellent. Perfect. His timing is always perfect. Amen. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that just blows my mind just how it was, yeah, just perfect timing. And the Lord placed it on your husband's heart to, you know, encourage you to take this position. And your children, were they, you know, excited to go as well? (laughs) When we, so obviously my husband and I had been talking about it way before we started talking to the kids about it. Because it was very uncertain. It was super like, I didn't even know if I was going to do it. We finally decided to tell them because Pastor Anchor was coming out to America to do final, the LCA sent him to the United States to do final meetings and interviews with us to confirm that we were the right family for the position before they, they issued the offer. Mm-hmm. So I had to explain to the kids why this Australian pastor was going to come hang out in Columbus and talk to mom for a week, right? Yep. Um, and they understood the concept already that I was a deaconess, that I worked in a church. And I had discussed in the past with them just like in passing that sometimes that means you go to a different church because a different church calls you to work for them. Mm-hmm. And I went through that process with them. And I said, in the church, the name of the church is St. Paul's Lutheran Church. And I said, the name of the city is Shepperton. I said, and the name of the state is Victoria. And that's when my son's eyes kind of flash because he's got all 50 states memorized and Victoria <laughs> ain't one of them. Yeah. Um, and I said, and the country <laughs> is Australia. And my youngest, she's like six at the time, goes, oh, we're moving to Australia. Wow. And it was like this. She was so excited. And then my oldest starts bawling. She's sobbing. Like it was an immediate, viscerally negative, like, oh my gosh, this might be the worst news of my life reaction. And I watched that sobbing carry from the oldest down to the youngest, you know? So the excited one, two seconds later, was also in tears because big sister was crying. And that obviously meant this was terrible. Yeah. Yeah. But the more we talked about that was the nice thing about the international process being so slow is we had heaps of time to get used to it. You know, I didn't say we're moving and we're moving in a month. It was we were moving and it took a year. 
Like we got mm -hmm. really comfortable with that idea. We were all anxious and ready for it to happen by the time it did. Mm. But yeah, <laughs> it was it was comically bad when I delivered the news. Yes. Yeah, but obviously they survived. Oh yeah, absolutely. And yeah. and and have adjusted beautifully and are doing, you know, very well here and are happy here. We always tell everybody what we miss most. Like obviously we love our family, we miss our family. Yes. Um the internet allows communication in a way that it's a beautiful time to have to live separately from your family. So we still get to be in touch with them and have video chats with grandma and what have you. We joke yeah. that what we miss most is the food, <laughs> you know, like just the stuff that you, you grow up with. Um, my kids will ask for Capri Suns, um, which are juice pouches, you know, um, yeah. it, it would be in their lunch boxes. Yeah. You know, stuff that we don't have here, you know, and Australia, westernized country, English, not difficult necessarily to adjust to, but culture shock is a thing. Yes. Um, but they but they have. They've adapted really well. Yeah. My youngest is 14 now. She was seven when we moved here. She's literally lived half of her life in Australia now. Yeah. Yeah. And we've got sausages in bread at Bunnings. And then mm. that's pretty good. <laughs> my, my son's working at Bunnings now, and he's excited when he gets Saturday shift because he can go get a snag. Yeah, go get a snag. <laughs> Yeah, wow. That's great. <laughs> yeah, that's that's mm -hmm. like the um the ultimate joy of being Australian is snags at Bunnings. There you go. Yeah. So now for something, a question that's a little bit different. And sure. we did briefly talk about this in our phone chat a couple of weeks ago. And that has to do with you're the one that has the theological training mm -hmm. and you're the church worker. So in your family, who is the spiritual head of your family? Is it you or is it your husband? My husband is the spiritual head of my household because that's his vocation. Yeah. Right? Uh, now, how that plays out in practice, I'll be really honest. Mm -hmm. There were times in my life and in, my, in raising my kids where my spiritual focus wasn't in the household. You know, I was working and whatever. My husband was the one who was like, hey, we need to be more diligent about our table grace and about making sure that we are um, our home spiritual practices together as a family. Yeah. It had fallen off my radar. He took responsibility for that. He, the children have been baptized. The children have been, well, we're working on confirmation. It's a very long and, and off and on process. It's Shepperton at the best of times. COVID made it even worse. Yeah. Um, but I, I helped the children with their instruction, but so did dad. Yeah. Right. Um, dad's responsible for making sure that they're raised in the faith and he takes an active role in that. If he has questions about stuff or wants to, to talk about the Bible with me, he, he recognizes that I've got some, some study under my belt that might be useful, mm -hmm. uh, but he doesn't use that as permission to shirk his responsibility, if that makes sense. Yes. Um, it's, he can't, he doesn't just say, oh, you're the church person. I'll let you deal with that. You know, it's not about that. And I don't step over him and say, I'm the church person. So that's my job. Cause it's not my job. It's his job. Um, yeah. and, and I defer to him in that. Like I, he's the reason we're in Australia. He really is. If he hadn't been supportive of it, I wouldn't have considered it. Yeah. But it's, and, and so there is, I, I love my husband and he's amazing. Uh, and there is sacrificial love for me in that. 
you know, that's him loving his wife the way Christ loves the church and gives up his life for her. That's yes. his job, right? Yes. Um, and he takes that seriously. And I am blessed by God to have a husband who takes that seriously and looks after me that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's that, a great answer. That's, that's really, really beautiful. And with my husband studying to be a pastor, this is something that I'm learning at the moment like just the other day, well, not the other day, a couple of weeks ago, he said, I want to start doing morning matins with the girls. Hmm, beautiful. And so we've started that and it's, okay, sweetheart, you know, you're the you're the spiritual head of this family. I'll support you in that. And it's been a challenge getting mm. four little ones to sit still. But, yeah, just letting our husbands do the vocation that God has given them and encouraging mm. and supporting them in that. Yeah, but I'm really glad that, you know, you're happy to talk about that because I think it is something that's really beautiful and really, really important. Yeah, and it's and it's so missed and misunderstood. Yes. The reality yes. of spiritual headship and um, submission to your husband as to the Lord, right? Yes. You get that part. You hear about that. Oh, well, the, the husband's the head of the house and he's in charge. Yeah. Right? You, you miss the other half. You miss the, he is supposed to be, right, mm-hmm. as Christ to his wife, right? This mm-hmm. sacrificial, supporting, giving love, right? Do you have a hard time submitting to Christ? The answer is yes, you do, because you're a sinner, yeah. right? But you don't, we don't rail against that and talk about it negatively the way we do about railing against the, the submission of a, hus- of a wife to a husband, right? Yeah. Um, because the world sees that as as men are putting women down and men are, and if that's happening, and I'm not saying it doesn't, right? There are situations where women are abused by their partners, right? And mm-hmm. that is horrible and awful. And that man is sinning against his wife, against his vocation and against his God. Yeah. It doesn't mean that the design God made is bad. It means that humans are sinful and cannot complete it. What God ordains, what God designs, what God plans is good. And if we could just do it, we'd have amazing lives. It would be perfect the way God always intended it to be. And when, as Christians, we see the reality of that and by the help of the Holy Spirit try to walk in it, it goes well for us. Because it's the way God designed it and it's awesome. My husband and I love each other. It's not like we've never fought. You know, it's not like we don't have issues, but God ordained our relationship and our roles within it. And we try to live that way because it's amazing. Yeah. And so what you're saying is that spiritual headship doesn't look like your husband uh, having more knowledge of the scriptures or knowing the Greek or Hebrew or being really educated in the scriptures, but it looks like leading your family in um, walking with God and making sure that it happens and that your children are taught and that um, you pray together as a family and that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. The reality is there are way more families in which neither parent is a professional church worker or has any exceptional theological knowledge. Now, it is the duty of the father like to teach his children in the faith, which means, yeah, he best be in the word himself. 
yeah. right? And having opportunities to learn and grow in his faith so that he can pass it on to his children. That's part of spiritual headship, right? Um, but no, you don't have to have any special theological training or knowledge in order to, to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, that's why Luther's small catechism, it's as the head of the household should teach his kids. It's supposed to be designed to be simple and give families a template to work from, um, a place to be in the word together to, to teach these truths. Uh, to our little ones in a way that they can grasp, even if they can't grasp it and all they're doing is smashing some Lego bricks together on mom's lap because they're only 18 months old. Um, mm -hmm. While it's happening, you're still building that pattern. You're still um, being in the habit of of spending time as a family with God because when two or three are gathered in his name, he's there with them. That's, that's in your home. It's with mm -hmm. your families around the dinner table. Um, and that a father can, yeah, absolutely step into that with whatever it is that he's got. There's resources available. If anybody, I mean, this is here she stands, but I hope there's some guys who are listening too. If you want help with this, go see your pastor and he will happily give you heaps of stuff to take home and share with your kids to make faith life a more active part of your, you know, dinner table routine. Mm. True. Absolutely. I meant to that. <laughs> Amen to that. Now, we're coming towards the end of um, this episode, and mm. there was just one more thing I was going to ask you to do, and that is to read out the True Deaconess Spirit poem yes. that you um, that you not only um, shared in the video did, you did with Joshua Pfeiffer, but, yeah. yeah, we talked about it beforehand as well. And I think it's not only relevant to women who are deaconesses or wanting to be deaconesses, but also to any woman who is passionate about serving God in whatever vocation that he has given her. Yeah, it is. It's really beautiful. It's kind of the unofficial motto of deaconess ministry. It was something that was part of my my training and formation was to to have this around and to meditate on this. We shared it with another with one another routinely in our devotions. And it's actually part of of the commissioning rite when I received my pin and and was made a deaconess. Um, it's it was a call and response where the where the deaconess who came to do my commissioning asked the questions and I answered them. And so um, it's beautiful. It's wit written by Wilhelmla. Um, mm -hmm. I mentioned earlier his connection to um, bringing deaconesses to the American Lutheran Church. Your deaconesses that you had in Australia back earlier in the 1940s, 50s, 60s, um, out of the same tradition, out of Neuendettelsaf in Germany. Huge proponent of deaconess ministry. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it, the true deaconess spirit, he says, what is my want? I want to serve. Whom do I want to serve? The Lord in his wretched ones and his poor. And what is my reward? I serve neither for reward nor thanks, but out of gratitude and love. My reward is that I am permitted to serve. And if I perish in this service? If I perish, I perish, said Queen Esther. I would perish for him who gave himself for me, but he will not let me perish. And if I grow old in this service? Then shall my heart be renewed as a palm tree, and the Lord shall satisfy me with grace and mercy. I go my way in peace, casting all my care upon him. Thank you for joining us today on the Here She Stands podcast. We hope that this episode has encouraged you and edified your faith. 
don't forget to check out the show notes for information and links relating to today's episode. You can find Here She Stands on Facebook and Instagram, or you can email us at hereshestands.podcast at gmail.com. If you would like to subscribe to our newsletter, please go to our website at hereshestands.online and fill in the subscription form. This way we can keep you updated with the latest news and also send you links to new episodes as they are released. In our next episode, the tables will be turned, well, partially, and I will be interviewing my co-host, Sonia. Sonia will be sharing her story and talking about how she became Lutheran. Until then, I pray that you will hold fast to God's word and confidently say, here I stand, I can do no other.